So um, let's get into the word now. That's like 10 minutes of announcements. I've never done that. But um, I guess we got a sermonette in there too. So again, last week we started Deuteronomy. Uh, we did chapter 30. We started in 31. Um, the Lord was speaking to them about Joshua being the new leader, talking to Moses about, you know, it's time for him to come home. And then we saw the exhortation for the law to be read to all of Israel collectively uh, once a year or, or every seven years. It wasn't that they weren't, it wasn't them called, being called to ignore the word and then every seven years read it. Uh, there was a call to be in the word continually, but uh, that time when they would come together collectively and no doubt it was the Lord's intention for there to be an awe of God in that gathering, an extra unction, a, a, an extra you know, glory there to put a fear in the people. In fact, he told them that they would hear <clears throat> with an intent that the fear of the Lord would be in the heart, a reverence for God, that God is, again, on the throne, and, and his promises are yes and amen. And as we're finishing out Deuteronomy, they've been told about the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience, and the Lord wanted that ingrained in them. And that gathering together specifically that seven years would help to be uh, as an effort to ingrain that in them, not just as individuals and not just as families and not just as communities, but as a nation. And so we come here to verse 14. And again, we're winding down the chapter here or, or the book here. It says here in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. So the Lord's told Moses this for quite a long time since he struck the rock instead of speaking to it when he misrepresented the Lord that he wouldn't go into the promised land. He could see it, but he wouldn't go in. And we talked about the reasonings behind that, that Moses brought the law. And listen, the law condemns. The law shows we're sinners. The grace of Jesus that brings us into the promised land is not the law of God. And so the Lord was painting a bigger picture here in all of this, and there was a purpose in this. And this wasn't just something to punish Moses. Moses was under the grace of God because he believed in the coming Messiah. It was something that no doubt it was difficult for Moses, and it was a trial, and Moses wanted to go in. He got a seat, but he didn't go in. But listen, the trial and even the Lord keeping him from going in was for Moses' good, and it was for our good because there's a lesson again in it that the law doesn't bring life. The law brings death, but grace brings life through the one who fulfilled the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells them, behold, the days are approaching when you must die. And again, that was true for Moses. It was going to happen very soon. But hear this this morning. It's morning somewhere. Hear this tonight. <laughs> Caught myself. I didn't preach Sunday, so it's like I got the, those mornings in me. So I got to get that out. This is true for everyone else. It's true for all of us. The day is coming when you must die. Think about that. The day is coming. And you're like, well, I'm going to get raptured out of here. Well, that body's still going to get transformed. And there's going to be, it says that immortality will swallow up mortality. So you're just going to die and be changed in a second, so to speak. So we're not going to get in the schematics of that. But the truth is that this world is marred by sin. 
And because of sin, we're subjected to death and we are subjected to judgment. And that's the absolute truth. And we need to be aware of that. We need to consider our latter end. In fact, the next chapter, the Lord pleads with them to consider their latter end. Listen, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that is something to rejoice in, to celebrate, but to also know that, listen, as we're walking to the end of our time here, and we're walking to, again, it says it's appointed a man to die once, then after death, the judgment, and praise God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we got to make sure as we're walking that road that we're just not getting caught up with all the side roads and all the sidetracks and so forth, that we got our eyes upon him. Because there's a lot of people that must die that don't know the Lord. And what a horrific thing to die without the Lord and to be subjected to uh, eternal damnation. As Jesus teaches on this and the word of God teaches us uh, concerning these things. So let our hearts be stirred in that. For Moses, listen, uh, his ministry was coming to an end on earth, but God had a replacement for him. And all of us can be replaced, know that. Don't ever start thinking, well, I'm not replaceable. You are, and so am I. And God was going to replace him with Joshua. He was going to ordain him, so to speak. The Lord had already ordained him, but God wanted Moses to ordain him in front of the people so the people could recognize that this is the call of God upon his life, uh, that he had been invested in and raised up and tested, and this was not a rash thing. And ordination is something that shouldn't be a rash thing. This is why in 1 Timothy 5.22 it says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And the context of that is ordination. And putting someone in the role of a deacon or an elder or a pastor, he says, don't do that hastily. Make sure they're tested. Make sure you know them. Make sure they meet those requirements there of a deacon in Titus and in 1 Timothy. It says, make sure that they're not a novice in those passages, lest they fall to the snare of the devil and so forth. And so we see that example given throughout the word of God as he was going to be ordained. And again, as this was an ordination of the Lord, it says that the glory of the Lord was there as this was happening. And no doubt the Lord wanted to give them assurance that though Moses is dying, I'm going before you. And we got Joshua who's been raised up to take his place. Verse 16, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers. And I don't know about you, but that's that. That's comforting. Um, rest is a good thing, isn't it? It's, it seems like almost anyone, you know, you ask them, how you doing? And isn't the usual answer, I'm busy? I'm busy, been doing a lot. And there's a time for rest here on earth. Lord wants us to have Sabbath rest. Um, praise God, he wants us to more so have the Sabbath rest, the fulfillment of Sabbath, the Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't it good to know that the day is going to come when, and he's speaking to Moses of, of his father, speaking of his fathers with faith in the Lord and the coming Messiah, you're going to go rest with them. And we just kind of talked a little bit about hell, but praise God for heaven. Amen. And heaven's going to be a place of eternal rest. It, it doesn't mean we're not going to be busy in heaven. It's not, it doesn't mean that heaven's just going to be this boring place. It's not at all. But it's going to be a place of rest. There's not going to be those burdens there. There's, there's not going to be pain and tears and so forth. And I love this. In heaven, there'll be no maintenance. That's just glorious. No maintenance in heaven. 
It won't be subjected to sin and, you know, to things falling apart. And no doubt for Moses, it would be him going to Abraham's bosom that Jesus speaks about in Luke 16, where those with faith in the coming Messiah went before their faith was fulfilled in the Lord's death and resurrection. And so that's a glorious thing. You're not going to go in the promised land, but you're going to go rest with your fathers. I don't know. That sounds better than the other, really. But notice what he says next. And there's prophecy being said in, in, in Deuteronomy, prophecies that's come to pass. Because he's told Israel, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed. But if you disobey me, you're going to be cursed. And then the Lord basically says, you're going to disobey me. He says, and this people will rise up and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. And uh, uh, where, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. And I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. So he says, you're gonna go rest with your fathers, but for these people, they're gonna rise up and play the harlot with demons. They're gonna rise up and play the harlot with the occult. They're gonna rise up and, again, play the harlot with the God of their own belly and with sin. And when that happens, trouble's gonna come upon them. And indeed, where there's sin, there's always trouble coming right around the corner. And when that happens, he says, my anger is going to be aroused. And again, trouble is going to come, and I'm going to hide my face from you. He's saying, they're going to turn their back from me. I'm going to hide my face from them. But listen, there was a reason in this. He says, so in that day, they're going to say, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us to get their attention. God doesn't bless rebellion. He doesn't pour, his, pour out his Holy Spirit on rebellion, on works of the flesh. And so we talked about it throughout Deuteronomy. These curses of disobedience were part of God's chastening because he loved them and he knew he needed to sustain them as a people to bring forth the Messiah of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the Lord forsaking them, but it's the Lord correcting them. And it's the Lord even allowing them to see, again, the consequence or the result of their sin in hopes that there would be repentance on their behalf. And there's not a lot that's changed in that. In Hebrews, it talks about, and we talk about this often because guess what? It comes up often in the scripture. That one of the ways, ways we know that we're sons and daughters of the king is that he chastens us and he corrects us. And it talks about in there how that's not pleasant. But the Lord does that in hopes that it would yield fruits of righteousness in our life. That we'd recognize that I've moved myself from abiding in the Lord and that fellowship with the Lord. And now the works of the flesh are there and the consequences that come from that. Let me wake up to this and respond to the call of the Lord to get back to abiding in him. Can we say amen to that? And praise God, he's patient. He was so patient with Israel. Man, you, you start reading past Deuteronomy, you get into 
Joshua, and you're just a few chapters in, and there's always already rebellion. And throughout the chapters, kind of highs and lows and valleys and peaks, and the next generation comes, and they don't even know who the Lord is. And everything we're talking about right now, and, and we're going to see here, the Lord tells them to write a song to teach it to the kids so they know who the Lord is. And it seems like they must not even have learned the song. And then the next thing you know, the book of Judges. I mean, you talk about a trip. Read the book of Judges. You're going to be like, what in the world's going on? You're going to go, who's right? Most of the time, nobody in the book of Judges. It's every man doing what's right in his own eyes. The Lord's right in it. And occasionally there's a few prophets Gideon and all that he does and all this victory. And then the guy goes and sets up an idol out in the town square and starts having all these kids riding on mules because he thinks he should be king. You talk about the patience of God. And then the Israelites and, the, and, and Judah and all this. And again, God says you're going to do this and this trouble's going to come. And yet he was so patient and so long-suffering and so forth. And I read the letters to the church the churches, and you see the mess that five of them are in. And he says, I've given you time to repent. And he gives time to repent, and he's patient, and he's long-suffering. But listen, the Bible says, don't test the Lord. Don't try the Lord. Listen, don't take his, his patience with you as a, as a sign of weakness. Don't take that as a sign that, listen, the chickens aren't going to come home to roost, and, 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 and that, that eventually there won't be a day of reckoning because there will. Listen, let that kindness lead you to repentance today. Let it lead you to laying down whatever perhaps you may need to lay down today. Verse 19, he says, Now therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I brought them, when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. So he says, I know their hearts even before I bring them into this land. I know what they're inclined to do. So you need to take this song and write it down in chapter 32 is the song and teach it to the children of Israel to be a witness. And it's a song basically about what we've been talking about in the last several chapters. Serve God and there's blessing, but disobey him and there's gonna be consequences that come with that. Verse 22, therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Now it is interesting. He says, write this song and have them learn it. It's going to be a witness. And the song that is written, obviously it's biblical. It's a chapter in the Bible. But I think it brings up an important point that, listen, the Lord would desire that the songs we sing are biblical, that they're grounded in scripture, that they're theologically sound, the songs that we're singing in our fellowship and so forth. And I'll just tell you straight up, there's a lot of songs that are sung 
in Christian today that are not theologically sound whatsoever. Amen. That the main individual in the song is me, myself, and I. And it's more about us. And there's so many songs out there that are marked with mysticism and false teaching. And I think really it's come to the place where a lot of the false teaching in the church, one of the main avenues of it is the music that is sung. And it kind of makes sense that the enemy would use that because he was the worship leader in heaven before he got the boot. And listen, music is something that is powerful. Music, music is something that tampers with people's emotions and it's a very easy way to lead people astray. You ever hear of a guy called the Pied Piper? Anyone ever heard of that fella? <laughs> he goes and plays his pipes and leads those rats right out of, uh, you know, I think that's how the story goes, but I, I've heard a lot of application. Oh, that's a Pied Piper. And he's singing a tune and people come and follow. And it's very easy for people. I, I, I really think the last several generations, last at least two or three, maybe four, have been grossly affected through music and deceived by it. And you know what? Drums are drums, and so is a bass and a guitar and a keyboard. It's really what you do with them. But so much music has come, become about emotion, and, and, and there's kind of a self-satisfaction in it and so forth. And, and people be, could become very subjected to the message being put there, even when they say, well, I'm just into the music, not the message. Well, you're getting the message if you're into the music. <laughs> and it's teaching you something. And I think we've had several generations who've been raised to be rebellious. You know why? The music has taught them that. It absolutely has. I've seen it firsthand in my generation. I know some of you, you know, I, I know there, there are several love love children or flower children here tonight x and maybe some still current hippies you can be hippie for jesus and and you know the 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 rock of the 60s and 70s and you know uh tune in and drop out and you know all of the acid that was brought in through all that through the cia i won't go too far down that rabbit hole but you know what look into it and just rebellion. And I know firsthand, I saw growing up, you know, I grew up in a, in a hip-hop community. And most of the hip-hop first, it was kind of about, you know, what, break dancing and popping and locking and, you know, kind of let's have a good time. And then I remember when gangster rap came out. And some of you guys know NWA and Ice-T and that gangster rap came out. And I grew up around gangs. I grew up around uh, generational gangs and so forth. And most of these guys, a lot of times it was more like a family thing. It was, we got each other's back. There was some, you know, drug sales and so forth, depending on the situation and the makeup of, you know, what was going on there. But generally, listen, if you had something to settle, you settled it with these right here. And then all of a sudden, this gangster rap came out, and all of a sudden, and some of this was already going on in the inner city, but listen, I know a lot of old school gangsters from the inner city, and it was not what it was before gangster rap. 
Next thing you know, all these kids are running around with guns, and this is not an anti-gun thing. It is a civil right that we have that I fully support and stand behind. Because, listen, it wasn't a gun that killed another kid. It was a kid that did that, influenced predominantly by the media and by the music and the indoctrination. And then all of a sudden, the little town I'm living in, where, yes, it was a lot of gangs, a lot of Hispanic gangs, and even some, you know what, white gangs and some black gangs and some Asian and so forth, not on a high level, next thing you know, all of a sudden, drive-by shooting in town and Gilroy was a little bit more of a developed farm community but then all of a sudden you read about King City and Greenfield and they're shooting each other up and you're like what in the world that came through music do you know that that came through music that didn't come from them gangsters it came through the music and most of those guys that sing that music are not what they portray themselves to be I'll show you a picture of Dr. Dre with makeup on looking like a woman back when he was about 18 years old. That guy's a puppet is what he is. And most of those guys are that. And so music's powerful. I didn't have any of this in my notes. I guess I'm going on a rant here. I said I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) But it's important because that's how an indoctrination can happen. A whole culture indoctrinated. And I know all of you guys from your different eras, whatever, you can tell the same stories. And now guess what is happening in the church? It is. Bethel Hill songs, that is corrupt theology to the umph degree. And most churches are singing that stuff. And you're endorsing. I don't care what you're saying. You're endorsing their theology. You're endorsing their positions when you are singing that music. And some of the music's phenomenal. Some of the songs are like, oh, this is fairly sound. And then some of them are like, oh my goodness, did a demon write this? We don't sing any of it because I don't want to endorse any of it. I don't want anyone to see that and go, oh, well, that sounds good. I'm going to go get into that. When you got guys like Bill Johnson, who's the head of all that, Jesus culture saying Jesus ceased being God because he was on earth, that's a different Jesus. I'm sorry. And they're grave sucking and doing fire tunnels and boy, their schools of ministry, it's, it's brainwashing. It's a cult. I'm not saying that there aren't people in it that love Jesus. I'm not saying there aren't people that listen to that music that love Jesus. There are. A lot of people just don't know. A lot of people don't hear about these things. They just don't know any better. But listen, that doesn't mean you can't be indoctrinated. Well, I just didn't know anybody. We're to study, show ourselves approved, right? Amen. We're to test all things. So at some point, even the average person in the pew or the seat has to take some responsibility. It can't be, well, it's Christian. Well, is it? Is it Christian? Is it of the Lord? Well, you know what? I'll just blame those people. No, you're responsible and so am I. Listen to Colossians Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So that's the foundation, the word of Christ, the word of God teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord so he's saying right here make sure that your songs are biblically based and you admonish and teach one another with them think about how many people have been taught truth through a song like amazing grace that saved a wretch like me 
I, I, I bet we're going to get to heaven and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to bet. I don't want to wager on it, but there has to be a, a slew of people who've gotten saved from that song, or at least a seed was planted in their hearts. They said, what's this grace being sung about? And I am a sinner. I am a wretch. And so many others. So he says, write this song that they're going to learn it as a witness to them. And, and it's just important that the songs we're singing are biblical and they're bearing witness and they're teaching and so forth. His music's powerful. And so he wrote, he wrote the song, taught it to him. He said to Joshua again, be strong and good, of good courage. I thought we'd get to the song. I don't even know if we'll get to the song tonight. The song, man, there's a lot of truth in the song. It says, verse 24, so it was when Moses had, complete, had, had completed writing the words of the law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Some words of encouragement from Moses there, you know. But he says, I'm leaving, but listen, the witness of God isn't leaving. The word of God abides. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. So I'm going, but the word of God is going to be here. And if you've been rebellious when I'm here, how much, how's it going to look like before I'm, I'm dead? Because listen, Moses regulated that stuff. Moses was a man of God. He wasn't liked too much by these people because he dealt with the nonsense. And when you deal with the nonsense, and one time, yeah, he got out of control, but generally he was very humble in it. And we know because he told us he's the most humble guy on earth. I, I'll just keep milking that joke, but it's biblical and it's in there. Um, he says, how much more? Because he knew how many corrupt leaders there would be. And, and, and ones that would actually lead the rebellion and so forth. He says, gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. And he knew that because the Lord told him. He wasn't just speaking out of the side of his mouth here. He said, and turn aside from the way which I've commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger through the works of your hands. And notice he uses the phrase here, latter days. And we're living in the latter days today. There would be latter days after Moses. And we read the Old Testament and we see just again the cycle of rebellion and faithfulness of God and chastening and so forth. God to Israel. But in these latter days, listen, um, God has regathered Israel in his grace and his goodness. There are many Jews getting saved, but it's still a very minor number in Israel today. I think it's something like they say, something like 2 or 3% of the Jews there are born again. Um, 2 or 3% in the world. They say there's something like 14 million Jews in the world. I don't know how they get these numbers, but that's what someone, they say, I don't even know who they are. I've just heard it before. Um, but he says, evil will befall you in the latter days. And there's a time coming called Jacob's trouble. And um, God's immensely blessing Israel today. 
It seems like everything she puts her hand to is blessed, even despite her rebelliousness, even despite the fact that, listen, it says in, in Revelation that Jerusalem's the spiritual Sodom, Tel Aviv's the homosexual capital of, tel, of, of the Middle East. Uh, if you're a woman in the Israeli army, and everyone is except certain Orthodox Jews, um, you, they'll pay for your first three abortions. There should be way more than 14 million Jews. In fact, I think the number is they've aborted more babies than were killed in the Holocaust there. And listen, Jews run Hollywood for the most part and is very wicked. In fact, that rap music that I talked about, you know, it was funded by Jews. And I'm not an anti-Zionist. I'm a full-on Zionist. I'm a Messianic Jew myself, but I talk truth about this stuff. And I don't worship Jews, but I pray for them. I don't worship Israel, but I pray for Israel. I love Israel. I've been to Israel many times. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I rejoice when Jews get saved because the gospel's first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But listen, in the latter days, there's a time called Jacob's trouble that's coming on Israel in the second half of that, or in, in, during the tribulation. And two-thirds of the Jews will, will be killed, and it will, it will make the Holocaust look, look like nothing. And yet at the end of that time, at the end of that time, a third is going to be preserved probably in the rock city of Petra, and they're going to look on him whom they pierced, and they're going to get born again and saved. And this is the stuff being prophesied about, about way back in Deuteronomy because God knows the end from the beginning. And it's amazing when you read God's word, you just see prophecy after prophecy, and you see these prophecies, prophecies here un, un, being unfolded throughout the old and into the new, and this stuff's unfolding today in the day we're living in. And again, so it's not a time to slumber. It's a time to be watchful. It's a time to be praying for the peace of Israel and praying for God's blessing on Jerusalem. Absolutely. Amen. And, and uh, to be praying for our neighbors and to be about the business of the Lord. And then he says in verse 30, that Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, the words of this song until they were ended. And we come here to 32 and we'll just go here a little bit longer and start into this song. He says in verse one, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. And so Moses wanted everyone to hear uh, what he had to say and sing, because God told him, listen, sing it and put it out there so that they learn it. This is a, a, a song, not a song of emotion. This isn't a song of deception. This is a song of truth. It's a song that's teaching. He says in verse two, let my teaching drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb or herb. You can pronounce that two different ways. As the showers on grass. And notice here, Moses is wanting and God is wanting this song not to bring death. God's word was not written to bring death. Do you know that? God's word was not written to send people to hell, it was written to show men that they were judged and subjected to, de- to hell in their sin, but there's a savior and you can be saved if you humble your heart and call on his name. Amen. That's why it was written. That's why Christ came, not to destroy lives, but to save them. And so he says here, let my teaching distill do. Let, let, it, let it be a, like a, a gentle rain that would bring life, not a storm that would bring destruction. Because the destruction was already on the cusp of unfolding because of rebellion. 
Now listen, the song would talk about judgment, it would talk about blessing, it would talk about repentance. But the intent of it was to bring forth life. And that should be the intent of real gospel preaching as well. Sometimes it might get a little fiery, but the intent shouldn't be to beat people. It should be to water their souls. There should be rebuke and conviction. But listen, the heart behind that should be to bring people to the Lord into green pastures and to a better place in life and in eternity and walking with him. Verse three, for I proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. So he said, listen, this is about proclaiming the Lord, not about proclaiming Moses, not about proclaiming greatness to any man, but to God. Verse four, he is the rock and his work is perfect and all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. And this is a song that they would learn, that they were to learn and they would learn. Because he just said when they rebelled, they would do that despite even learning this song. And isn't it tragic when people do get caught, taught truth from the word and grow up singing biblical songs in Sunday school, but they still rebel. In this song, I know we won't get to it tonight, but he talks about the judgment upon them rejecting the Lord. And guess what he talks about? He talks about the lowest hell, the lowest parts of hell. Because the more you know and the more you reject the Lord, there is more of a judgment that comes with that. That's frightening, really. Again, he says, he's the rock. And the rock that was with them was Christ there in the wilderness, 1 Corinthians 10. And aren't you glad he's perfect, he's just, he is truth. There's no injustice in God, he's righteous and he's upright. That's a good song to sing, right? You could take that one verse and make a pretty good song out of it maybe someone will do that verse five you're like what kind of song is this none of this rhymes well some of their songs were a little different than ours i do better with rhyming myself and remembering songs he says in verse five they have corrupted themselves they are not his children because of their blemish um a preserve and a perverse and crooked generation do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and wise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And again, God knew that they would rebel. And so he's posing this question in the song. Listen, you've corrupted yourself. God hasn't corrupted you. You've done that. And you're supposed to be his children, but you're not walking as his children. And didn't he make you to establish you? Didn't he make you to be your father? So what's going on? He's wanting him to step back and question what's going on in that rebellion that, again, was already there in the wilderness that Moses witnessed, and God said this is going to come in the future. Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. And I'll tell you one thing about it. A mark of a rebellious generation, you know what it is? They're not considerate of the elderly. They don't want to listen to older men and women who could teach them something. They know everything. They got it all down. They got it all figured out. And he says, you need to remember, you need to consider. Ask your fathers about it, your elders, and they'll tell you. And maybe it wasn't a thing where even their fathers or elders are new, but they had God's word and it was written in the word of God. 
He says, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. And notice he's here. He says, ask your fathers about when the Lord divided the inheritance to the nations. Rebellious generations do not want there to be borders. They either want to go conquer who's on the other border, or they want to tear those borders down and come together, not to worship God, but they could make a name for themselves and become great. That's an absolute biblical fact. It's a biblical fact. He says, ask your fathers about this. Well, in Genesis eleven four, God had told mankind after the flood, and we'll close on these thoughts right here. He told them what he had told Adam, be fruitful and multiply, go fill the earth. Go fill the earth, go scatter. Why? So when you're out there, you're dependent upon me and not upon your government and not upon men. But you're first and foremost dependent upon me. So get out there and scatter. Man didn't want to do that. They found a place where there was a really good climate where modern day Iraq is. Climates have changed over the years. The plain of Shinar, it was a very fertile ground. And they said, let's all come here. Let's all come to this climate and we'll make a city here. And in, in Gen- Genesis eleven four, 4, it says, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the, son of, the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do? Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. That's a powerful verse. See, because, listen, there's a plane of Shinar today. The world's becoming one again. It's Babel 2.0. And when you start hearing about some of the crazy stuff that's going on with genetics and singularity and stuff, and some people say, oh, no, that's not going to happen. God said if they come together, there's nothing that they purpose to do that they can't do. The longer Jesus tarries, you're going to see some crazy stuff. You absolutely, we're already seeing crazy stuff, right? They're talking now about a chip in your mind to connect you with the cloud. They have the technology for that right now. We're ain't going to be any of this. It's going to be this. He says now in verse seven, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. We're going to make them a bunch of babbling idiots. They can't understand each other. We're going to force them to scatter. We're going to force them to do what they should have been doing. Unfortunately, they all went away from there with, with a, 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 a religion of worshiping a mother goddess and a Nimrod religion that's gone out. You can find it in every part of the world today where there's an occultic rebellion. You still find it with the indigenous people around the world. Similarities in all these false religions that they took with them. But listen, in Acts 17, 26, and we'll we'll close on these last thoughts here. 
It says that God says, uh, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. There's no races. There's only one race, the human race. If you're a racist, let that liberate you. Get liberated by the truth. Make a song about it and sing it. Because there's a lot of songs that are very racial, even though there's only one race. So he says, he's made men to dwell on the face of the earth and is determined, notice here, their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. Why? So that these should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God says, I've scattered them and I've even put up borders. Why? That in that place, so they can't just all come together and do an antichrist kumbaya over here. They would have to begin to grope for the Lord and say, we need help. And our help we need is from up there, not from around here. And that's the truth throughout God's word. It's not that we should not care about those over there. It's not that God did not want there to be trade and partnership and so forth. Again, and, and there, there's been a lot of, I think, upright trade agreements and so forth. Boy, look at David and Solomon. They were pretty good at it themselves. But this is part of God's plan, and it's part of the world today rejecting the ordinances of God. And we got a government right now that wants to be God. It does. It wants to be God. And there's different individuals in there with different agendas and some not so much as others and so forth. We need to pray for all of them. But that's what's going on. You're like, oh, not me. I'm a Republican. You better open up your eyes, son. Because most of them, not all of them, but most of them, they want the exact same thing. And it's my opinion that at a certain level, it seems like there's a lot of cahoots going on across the board. There's something called a dialectic where it's like we're pushing back and forth. And if we keep pushing you here and pushing you here, we're going to bring you together to a closer, closer uh, place. And then people get to the point where they're just like, I'm done fighting. I'm done resisting. I'm done being fundamental on this. Can't we all just get along? And it happens over and over and over and over again. That's why I'm a fundamental Christian. That's why my aim is not to deviate from the scripture, to stand on the word of God. And it's like, I'm deviating from it. And uh, you know what? There, there's there's a, a price to pay in that, but I'd rather have, by the grace of God, maybe a small reward that would come from that versus uh, appeasing men that are deceivers. Amen. So, uh, Lord God, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. Boy, what a lot of truth we've looked at here. We barely scratched the surface of it. I pray, God, we'd really consider these things and Lord, we want to pray, God, for our nation. We want to pray for its salvation, God. We want to pray, God, for a revival in this land. We desperately need you, Lord. And Lord, there's so many in this world that need you, Lord. And Lord, you've set their pre-appointed boundaries and hope that they would grope for you. And I just want to pray, God, tonight that there would be a, just a groping that would come upon this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if there's anyone here tonight that don't know you, God, I would hope they'd call on you right now. They've heard good news tonight. They've heard about the work of the cross and salvation available through Jesus. So if that's you, call on his name. Ask him to be your Lord and he will meet you where you're at. Lord, bless the rest of our night. We pray this in Jesus' name.